This evening we're going to consider an exhortation to unity and we're looking at the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, he spent the first three chapters of his epistle to the Ephesians telling them about the great things that God has done for them such as choosing them before the foundation of the world, raising them up when they were dead in trespasses and sins and saving them by his grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who has broken down the middle wall of partition that existed between Jews and Gentiles and he has reconciled them to one another and most important of all, he has reconciled them to God by the blood of his cross. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, God, uh, Paul goes on to exhort the Ephesians as, <clears throat> as recipients of all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus to walk worthy of the high calling that they have been called to. Having told them about all the, well, about the, some of the blessings that they have in Christ Jesus. It stands to reason that not only the Ephesians of old, but all who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ should no longer walk according to the course of this world, according to the powers of darkness, fulfilling the lusts of the flesh and the mind, as children of wrath, the wrath of God, but rather they should walk worthy of the high calling that they have been called to, as sons of God, sons and daughters of God. This evening we'll be considering the first verses of chapter 4 and first of all I want to look at verses 1 through to 3 so I'll read them to you again verses 1 through to 3 I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness with long suffering forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul had already declared himself to be a prisoner of Christ. All you have to do is look at um, the first verse in chapter 3 there. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, and now we see again in verse four, uh, chapter 4, rather, verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. There seems to, to be some emphasis on Paul being a prisoner of Christ. Normally we, we're perhaps more used to him declaring himself to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's making a point here of saying that he is a prisoner of the Lord And he was doing that because it was well worth him repeating what he was saying and reminding those Ephesians that he was not writing to them as someone who was lording it over them and the rest of the church as an apostle, but rather he was languishing in Rome as a prisoner in bonds for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. 
Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian Christians started with an encouragement to them to walk worthy of the vocation that they had been called to. To a vocation that is marked by lowliness, meekness, long-suffering and forbearing one another in love. To be lowly or humble, same thing, lowly, humble, is to have a low estimate of oneself and to consider others better. The opposite of lowliness is pride. And a spirit of pride indicates a lack or even an absence of humility before God. Suffice to say that pride really isn't a good Christian characteristic. In fact, it is not consistent with being a Christian at all. You'd have to think if someone is proud, someone has a proud heart, did, they, did that person ever really acknowledge his or her sins before God? Crying up to heaven, God be merciful to me a sinner. There's a serious warning for all who have a proud heart in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18 where it is written, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 23 verse 12 concerning the proud and the humble, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Exalted by God, that is. I trust you can see that it's far better to be exalted by God than for you to exalt yourself. By the grace of God, what we all need to do is prostrate ourselves before the throne of God. We'll look at the next Christian virtue which is meekness or gentleness. We've looked at loneliness and we see in verse 2 with all loneliness and meekness. Meekness or gentleness. Meekness is an unresisting and uncomplaining mentality that sees everything as coming from God, not just the good things. We're very good at praising God when the good things happen. But what about the things that aren't so good? Everything comes from God ultimately. Surely we, we believe that to be the case if we're Christians. And the person who is meek has that unresisting, uncomplaining mentality as he sees that everything comes from his God and consequently that person accepts hardships and trials without murmuring, without disputing, without stamping your feet, as some people do, without crying, it's not fair, like a big baby. That's not for Christians to do. We accept everything as coming from God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things, whether they seem good to us or not. Next is long-suffering. We've got in verse 2 again, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering. The person who is long-suffering suppresses a righteous anger and exercises patience towards those who have done him harm or who have offended him in some way. 
As such, God is oftentimes said to be long-suffering in the Bible, long-suffering towards sinners. For example, in Psalm 86 and verse 15, it is written, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering. Suffering long with sinners and plenteous in mercy and truth. It's only when Christians are lowly, meek and long-suffering that they are equipped to forbear or put up with or endure one another in love instead of becoming irritated and frustrated with one another. And they are able to maintain unity and peace only where there is lowliness, meekness and long-suffering. Otherwise, we just get on each other's nerves most of the time. Without lowliness, meekness and long-suffering, there is hatred, pride, disputes and anything but unity and peace amongst Christians and in the church as a whole. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, the Lord Jesus Christ described himself as meek and lowly in heart. That's where, in heart, within us, when you speak of meekness and lowliness, it begins inside, in the heart. Jesus is unquestionably the greatest example of meekness and lowliness when you consider that even though he is God, he came down from heaven and made himself of no reputation. He became flesh and he took the form of a lowly servant. Remembering, let's remember that he is the king of glory and yet he became a lowly servant in this dark world of sin. When he was reproached by wicked men who heaped abuse on him, who blindfolded him, spat at him, pulled out his beard, punched him and scourged him, he committed himself to God who judges righteously. Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, when men laid their wicked hands on him and nailed him to that cross and lifted him up to die. And he bore in his body all the sins of those who believe in him, trust in him. That describes the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his humility and in his humiliation when he was in the world. Though the unbelieving world may see it as weakness, the lowliness, the meekness, the long-suffering, the, the world may view that as weakness. It is in fact a description of strength in, and trusting God. It's most unlikely that you will hear an exhortation from a secular um, motivational speaker on YouTube. One of those motivational speakers on YouTube encouraging you to be meek and lowly and long-suffering. You just won't hear it. Even so, they are virtues that really ought to be present and observable to varying degrees in all true Christians who are only too aware that they are what they are by the grace 
and mercy of God. Christians of all people should have no airs and graces. It would be most inconsistent for children of the Most High God to be anything other than lowly, meek and long-suffering when they consider that if it were not for the grace of God, their Heavenly Father, who saved them from their sins, they would be just the same as everyone else, condemned sinners and uh, who will eventually be cast into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And if you're a Christian in here, you know that there go you, but for the grace of God. Let's have a look at verses 4 through to 6. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Having just urged the Christians, uh, the Ephesian Christians, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Paul goes on to explain the nature of that unity. In the world, there is the visible church with all its different denominations and also there are church fellowships scattered all over the place. The visible church is but a reflection of the one and only spiritual church, which is described as one body in our verses here. One body in verse 4. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of that one body and all who are in Christ are members of that one body of which Christ is head. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul likens that one body of which Christ is head to a human body. And he says, If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, as it therefore is it therefore not of the body? But now are they many members, but yet one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honourable Upon these we bestow more abundant honour and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need but God have tempered the body together having given more abundant honour to that part which lacked that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member fail, uh, one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. When you think of the church like that, as one body comprising born-again Christians who are 
different from one another and they do different works which God has prepared for each one of them to do in his service, you can see the potential for disunity and schisms if there is a scarcity of lowliness, meekness and long-suffering. Some will think, well, what I'm doing is far more important than what the others are doing, and so on. Or there might be those who will think, well, what I'm doing, it's, it's, it's trivial. It's nothing compared to what the others are doing in this church. doesn't matter. It's what God has given you to do in his service. And we shouldn't be looking down on each other or indeed looking up at each other. Paul goes on to say that there is one spirit. Having said there is one body in verse 4, one spirit. As in God the Holy Spirit, who dwells in that one body and in all its members, he is the life of the one body of which Christ is the head. When you think of that, you, when you think of the head of that one body, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the Prince of Peace. And when you think that the one, that one of the fruits of the one spirit who dwells in all the members of the body is peace. One of the fruits of the spirit is peace. Surely that demands that Christian brethren live in peace and unity with one another. There is one hope for all who are indwelt by and sealed with the one spirit according to verse 4. One hope. All born again Christians have precisely the same certain hope of glory and of entering into the presence of their great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, beholding his glory, regardless of their position in this wicked world and regardless of their function within the one body or church of which Jesus is head. We all have the same hope of glory. According to verse 5, there is one Lord. If Christ is your saviour from sin, then he is also your Lord. He owns you, lock, stock and barrel, or perhaps I, I should say that Jesus owns you body and soul, having purchased you with his own precious blood. By his death on the cross, Jesus has delivered you from slavery to sin and from Satan to serve him. To serve him, your Lord. Praise God that you are bound and yoked to the Son of God, who is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And you, you, with thanksgiving in your heart, you acknowledge him, the Lord of lords, as your Lord. You know, we speak of Jesus as our Saviour, quite rightly so, but he is your Lord as well. And is that is that um, evident in the life that you now live as a born-again Christian, that Jesus is your Lord? Next we see that there is one faith. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith. First of all, to have faith is to believe or to trust And the one faith of the church is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in none other. 
As the Apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Not believe in someone else or anything else. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The Bible defines faith and believing as the substance or the confidence of things hoped for. You'll see that in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Faith is the substance or the confidence of things hoped for. And let's be very clear about something. And that is that if you do not have a faith in which your confidence is in the Son of God and his finished work of atonement, then whatever you, whatever hope you have, it is a hope that will die when you die. It will not go beyond the grave. The, the Bible makes it very clear that there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. That truth is expressed by the hymn writer who said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. With that in mind, the Christian faith, which was once delivered to the saints, is the only valid faith. You're to have faith in Christ alone and the Christian faith is therefore the only valid faith. And the devil in this world that he is in the, that the devil is the prince of would love to corrupt that one faith that was delivered unto the saints so that the Lord Jesus Christ is no longer the way, the truth and the life but merely a way, a truth and a life. That's happening in churches where the, where the, the option remains to, to, to be saved by some other means. Churches. I say that because um, a lady I know back in London, she attended her father's funeral and it became clear that the, the lady vicar that was leading the service there, she, she said very clearly that there are other ways to heaven. And uh, this friend of mine, she couldn't resist it in the end. She she just got up, went to the front and she took over the service. And she made it very clear. My father is in heaven because there is one way. Jesus has said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No other ways. She had to do that at her father's own funeral service. How shameful that that has to be done. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. One faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Christian faith is the only valid faith. We are to contend for the one faith. With God's enabling grace, we are to stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving, to, striving together for the faith of the gospel something that we must be very careful to do at this church and to continue to do until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. 
Also in verse 5 we see that there is one baptism. When I look at verse 5, I don't know how any Christian can read the words one baptism, which are in the very same verse as one Lord and one faith, and not be baptised, or not see the importance of baptism. Clearly the Apostle Paul did see the importance of baptism here in verse 5, and also in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, where he said, For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. Looking at that verse, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, looking at it negatively, is it not saying, for as many of you as have not been baptised into Christ have not put on Christ? Dear Christian, you say that you have put on Christ and that you are clothed in his righteousness. I trust that you have also been baptised with that one baptism. Having considered one spirit in verse 4, one Lord in verse 5, we now have in verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. That brings together very nicely in consecutive verses, the triune God, Father in verse 6, Son in verse 5, Holy Spirit in verse 4. I like how the 19th century theologian Charles Hodge brings those verses together. He said, As the church is one, because pervaded by one spirit, and because it is owned and governed by one Lord, so it is one, because it has one God and Father. There is one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father. The unity of the church is founded on this doctrine. It is one because there is to us one God and Father, one Lord, one Spirit. In closing, the Apostle Paul's exhortation started with a call to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The very first thing, though, is to be called by God. And those who are called are people who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as repentant sinners. They have been baptised and they no longer walk according to the course of this world. Maybe, by the grace of God, that is you. But even so, the meekness of heart, the long-suffering, the love and the peace that are listed in these verses are not as evident in your Christian walk as they might be. When you, when you examine yourself, when you think about things, maybe you look at those verses, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, the peace, the love, all the rest of it there, you think, yep, What do you do when you realise that maybe there's a a scarcity of it in your life, shall we say? Not much evidence of it, or not as much evidence as you would want there to be if you are to live a life that honours God, that glorifies God. 
Well, all of those things, the meekness, the long-suffering, the love, the peace, they're all fruit of the Spirit. All fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, if you earnestly desire to be conformed to the image of your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the one who loved you and who gave himself for you, then pray, pray that you would bring forth that fruit to the glory of God. Amen.